Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm James Yardley and today I'm joined by Manish Bajaj, the Elite Rated Manager of the Brown Advisory US Flexible Equity Fund. Thank you very much for joining us today, Manish. Thank you very much for having me and it's um, great to be speaking to you. Manish, um, tell us a little bit about the US. What is, what is the situation at the moment? Uh, I mean, we've heard a lot about inflation at the moment and supply chain worries and so forth. Are people coming back to work? And what is the overall economic position at the moment? Sure. So um, things are progressing and things are progressing well. Um, there are challenges, however, and you, and you referenced a couple of those challenges. So um, when I reflect on year to date, um, we've had the third quarter where there was the Delta variant, which has provided some bit of dent related to the growth and consumer sentiments in quarter three. We've had good growth in quarter one, quarter two of this year, but the GDP growth for quarter three came subpar and it was under expectations. So for example, uh, the GDP growth in quarter two was 2% versus 6.7% in the earlier quarter. Um, The expectations are that uh, we will recover, things will get robust and um, will progressively get better from, from here. And um, economists are forecasting above average growth for 2022 as well. Um, now, it's just reflecting on how the investors are thinking about it. Uh, the equity markets, the Dow Jones hit 36,000. So investors are really seeing through some of these, these issues and, and, and uh, viewing them as mostly temporary. James, you talked about um, are, we, are people going to work? And they are. And I can tell you from my personal experience, when I'm driving in the morning during the rush hour or coming back um, from the office, it feels like uh, pre-pandemic. So um, I am stuck in traffic. And, and so which, which in some ways is reassuring that uh, things are getting uh, better. You also talked about inflation, and uh, we do have inflationary pressure. Um, As you know, the inflation environment in the United States has been pretty benign uh, over many, many couple decades. And what we're finding is that uh, inflation has perked up. It started perking up uh, in March of this year, which um, was really not expected. The Fed last Last year in December was forecasting 1.8% inflation in the United States. We are far from it. Inflation, the latest readings have been above 5%. So we are seeing inflationary forces there, no question about it. Um, And you really have to go 40 years back to see such kind of inflation. Now, um, it is inflation is is, is very, very hard to forecast. And as I mentioned, even even, um, the Fed uh, finds it difficult to forecast it. And there are supply issues, there are, which could be temporary. We are finding in the United States that uh, there are supply disruption, and it's across the board. It's in the commodities, it's in the chips, the semi-industry, and because of it, many of the end products like cars, phones, um, they're getting, getting um, impacted. So um, the bottlenecks really have been in multiple areas, uh, and, and that's why, which is leading to these supply constraint issues, it's uh, shipping containers from China, and there is a shortage of containers. There is shortage of trucks. There is labor shortages. There are not many drivers to haul many of the goods away from these ports. So what we're finding is there is port congestion as well. Um, ultimately, all this will resolve itself, and uh, the question really is uh, how long does it take? to go through it.
Now, what does it mean for sort of earnings and margins? Uh, you know, are we still seeing strong earnings? Are margins sort of getting compressed at all by you know higher higher input costs, or is it more of a case of winners and losers? Um, absolutely, you you going to see um, there is going to be margin compression net compression, and simply because uh, wages are going up, but also the companies are able to pass on pricing. And that's what is leading to this um, inflationary pressure, right? So this is really a tug of war and ultimately it'll depend on the business model, what business model you own. Many of the holdings which we have in our portfolio, especially the bigger ones, um, the impact on, on those business models related to commodities or labor pressure um, are, are not that acute. So, um, you know, it's to be seen the earnings are going to grow very, very nicely in 2021 over 2020. And that's simply because um, 2020, because of the pandemic, the earnings were depressed. I think the key question is, how does 2022 play out? Um, we do think that there is going to be expansion and the GDP is going to grow nicely and uh, companies' profitability also should, should increase nicely. And looking at your holdings, um, I notice you own Visa and MasterCard, um, as quite a lot of other managers do. Um, why, why do you need to hold both? And what do you particularly like about, about these businesses? Sure. So um, Visa and MasterCard have been very, very long-term holdings of uh, Flex Equity. Um, and we've had it for a decade or more. These positions were much smaller in the portfolio when we bought it at the time of purchase, but since then they have grown in size as the stocks have done well. Um, between the two companies, there are more similarities than differences in their businesses. Um, the key point is that these are wonderful businesses. They are toll booth-like businesses. They have built a powerful two-sided network. These businesses have very, very high margins. They have very high returns on capital. And they have benefited over the last decade from the secular shift of cash to digital. And increasingly, just the, what we've experienced related to the pandemic, more and more commerce is shifting um, online. And, and Visa and MasterCard are clear beneficiaries of that. So um, there is not one clear case that one is better than the other, although there have been periods when the stock performance of one is better than the other. And um, there are some differences. Visa is a much larger company. Its revenue is roughly 50% more than MasterCard. And because of the scale Visa has, Visa does have better margin, margins than operating margins than uh, MasterCard. Visa also dominates the debit, debit card market in the United States. And uh, debit has been doing well in the current environment where consumers in the US are flush with cash. And the use of credit card is not as much um, as the debit. Uh, however, MasterCard has been growing faster. They have executed well in Europe. Um, and in, in the past few years, Visa got mired with the merger and integration of Visa Europe. So MasterCard has shown some good growth um, in the uh, rest of the world. So, um, and, and one difference is also that MasterCard was early in building a consulting business, they provide uh, additional value-added services to their customers. So uh, generally speaking, these are terrific businesses. They have been in our fund for a long time. Um, they, uh, and we, we often in our fund, once we have uh, winners in our portfolio, 
we continue to to ride them, and and uh, these companies have continued to grow in value for our for our clients. And I also notice you own Pinterest. Um, can you tell our listeners what Pinterest does and, and what you like about the company? Yes, uh, very happy to. So Pinterest is a social media company where people come on their websites to get inspired. It is a visual discovery engine for finding ideas like recipes, um, home and style inspiration. Um, interestingly, what happens is that these ideas have been created by the, the pinners or the, the members on Pinterest, um, and, and which is shareable. So it's it, it actually, the concept is, is, a, is, a, is, I think it's a great idea, it's a powerful idea. Oftentimes, you know, for example, if I'm looking for a lamp, my search may start on Google or, 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 uh, or, or a search engine like that. But once you search for your, and once the results come out, it doesn't get simpler from that. Um, I, I can go to the various websites. I want to maybe, you know, save some of these websites or images, and there is no way to do it. Um, cut paste is not a great option. And Pinterest is, is a website or, or, or a social media platform which allows me to pin these images and website addresses onto my own board. And um, this board becomes available for others um, or my friend circle or others to view and get inspired by. So maybe, James, um, you may have great taste and you're upgrading your kitchen. And, um, and I want to get inspired and look at your selections. Uh, and that's, that's um, easy for me to do on Pinterest, is to follow your board and see uh, how you're thinking about your kitchen upgrade. Um, so, so we like this space. Uh, I think it's a unique platform. Uh, social media has had a secular tailwind when it comes to advertising dollars being spent on those platforms. We've seen Facebook, we have seen Snap. Uh, revenues for these companies have continued to grow. And if you think about in aggregate, um, you know, these, the revenues for these companies on social media platform has grown more than 25% for the last seven years. So there are secular tailwinds for companies like Pinterest. Uh, in case of Pinterest, the company went public in 2019. And since then, they have um, grown their revenues and also their profitability quite dramatically. They have built a strong community. They have more than... 450 million monthly average users, both uh, uh, in the US, maybe roughly 90 million and rest internationally. So um, over the years, they've been building tools and, and, um, and making it convenient for advertisers to um, advertise on their platform. So James, I referenced about the kitchen upgrade, which you may be thinking, and, um, and you've created a board for it. It's a, it's a perfect place for advertisers to advertise maybe the sink you're looking at. And so uh, it just becomes convenient for you to see other ideas as well. And what's important is that uh, those pins which are being advertised can become shoppable. So, um, and, and this is the big opportunity for Pinterest as, uh, as they build their platform to make uh, it more shoppable. So uh, we like their prospects. It's a young company. Uh, there are, of course, uh, execution challenges. But if they are able to execute on the opportunity, we think that they have um, tremendous growth ahead of them. Very interesting. And um, how are you thinking about ESG at the moment? Uh, we hear a lot about it. Uh, does it form an important part of your process? It does. And um, so environmental, social, and governance issues have increasingly become important, not only to, to the population, but also to the investment community. 
And as um, long-term shareholders of companies, we have always thought about these issues. But um, in the last four or five years, we do it much more explicitly than we have done in the past. And this is now very well integrated in our research process. Uh, we have an ESG team, which does deep work on understanding the ESG issues related to the companies um, and the industry the company operates in. So we do have an ESG policy. We have a framework. And in very simple terms, uh, we like to invest behind companies that take their responsibilities towards the environment, social aspects, and governance seriously. And we want to avoid investing in companies that are breaching global norms. And the last bit is, which is a critical piece, is that engaging with these companies uh, to understand their policies, uh, uh, et cetera, and also uh, share ideas and, and help them uh, get better. So um, every company we look at, every new investment opportunity, we have uh, ratings. We rate these companies based on their ESG risk profile and the opportunity. We engage with these companies to monitor the risk, the progress the companies are making related to their ESG goals. Um, and um, so, so, yeah, so to your, to your question, ESG today is a significant portion of our, of our research efforts um, and uh, in our investment decision making. You talk about active engagement being central to your approach. Can you give us a few uh, recent examples of some conversations you've had? Sure. I'm assuming, James, that you're talking about ESG-related engagement. Is that right? Yes. Sure. So, um, you know, as I had mentioned to you earlier, that ESG is an important part and we care deeply about it. Um, we are, we you know, recently made an investment in Bed Bath & Beyond, which is a new holding of ours. The, our ESG team engaged directly with their management team to understand the ESG issues, um, how the company is uh, approaching ESG and integrating ESG in, into their business practices. So for us, it's, it's critical to understand, for example, where are they sourcing their cotton from, or they, they make bed sheets and dolls, et cetera, and just trying to understand if they're emphasizing um, organic cotton, for example. Um, is the company focused on reducing waste? So how are they intending to reduce their, their uh, foot, footprint related to plastic or related to energy? So, so just trying to understand their energy footprints and their goals, et cetera, to reduce um, their usage of plastic and maybe also reduce their distribution cost. Uh, another example is Nomad. Nomad is a... Uh, is, is, uh, is uh, based in primarily based in Europe, and uh, it's a consumer staples company. They sell frozen fish and frozen vegetables. Um, there was a recent documentary on Netflix. It's called Seaspiracy. If you have not seen it, I think it's fascinating. It's interesting. It uh, draws attention to, um, in many ways, how um, the seas are being plundered for fish. And so this call into question their um, their sourcing and and and. Um, their brand was mentioned related to um, sustainable fishing. And so uh, we reached out to Nomad to understand better their progress and, and how they are working towards sourcing more sustainable fishing. Um, and, and so this is, this is a critical part of what we do uh, to understand and the, the progress companies are making. And in this case, um, they are committed to, to uh, having more sustainable sourced fish. And um, they have set a goal to be certified by the Marine Steward Council 
or the um, Aquaculture Stewardship Council. So we see company making good progress related to that. And they're also on proxy voting. We, we take our responsibility related to proxy voting very seriously. Our teams engage with, um, with all the companies when it comes to proxy voting. Recently, we've had a dialogue with Edward Life Sciences Corporation, which is a holding in our portfolio to better understand um, the many of the measures that were on the ballot to understand the ESG topics like succession planning, diversity and inclusion, product quality, et cetera. And this, these dialogues help us understand better where the management teams are coming from um, and allows us to vote in a more responsible way and a thoughtful way. Well, that's been really interesting, Manish. Great to get your thoughts today. Thank you very much for joining us. Most welcome. Thank you for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about the Brown Advisory US Flexible Equity Fund, please visit uncaliber.com. And please also remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at your time of listening.